This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Studio from the Women's Circus, Executive Director Devon Taylor and Creative Projects Director Penelope Bartlow. Welcome to you both. Welcome. Hello. Now I'll just lower my glasses so I can peer over them at you, right? <laughs> I've just recently become short-sighted, which means I need the glasses to read, but kind of then if I put them on, you're both kind of weird and blurry and kind of... It's not necessarily not a bad, bad thing. thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's a little bit disconcerting from my point of view, but I have to say. So, kind of, the Women's Circus just recently kind of uh, you kind of held place, which is your your big 2018 cabaret fundraiser. How important is a fundraiser like that for an organisation like an organisation like the Women's Circus? Well, beyond the financial contribution it makes towards our next year's programming, I think it's also an amazing opportunity for our community as well as the broader community to come together and celebrate what we do and the potential of of the the members and and the work that we're making so i think it's really important yeah and in terms of the work that the women's circus does tell us penelope a little bit more about the company well actually devon's probably better place to talk about the company but i can say just the experience of doing that cabaret um to be backstage with around 30 35 women who are all incredibly excited who've all worked very hard and it's their stories that they're telling through their chosen form whether it's you know acrobatics or trapeze or german wheel it's it's a just such a beautiful place to be in so yeah it's pretty good the company itself i mean we've been around since 1991 in some form or another started as a community project and has evolved into its own sort of fully funded fully fledged organization um and i guess we sort of work at the next you know the the nexus between community art and you know exciting creative art (laughs) making um and we use circus as a tool for creating positive change in the lives of the women who engage with us. Uh, we do a lot of community projects as well, so in partnership with government agencies or local community groups. Um, <clears throat> and that's the sort of social circus application side of things. So we, we might d- deliver a project, um, you know, a program over 20 weeks working with women who are affected by homelessness, for example. And then often from there, you'll see some of those women come into our training program, which is sort of the flagship foundation piece for our organization. Uh, and then it's our training members that we work with to create our large scale work or cabaret events and things like that yeah and the big annual show that's happening next year for example yes. and yeah now i think because one of the first times i kind of got to know a bit more about the the women's circus was through the show um uh, a plane without wings is a rocket i think it was called mm-hmm. that annie davy yes. directed and that must must have been ten, 10 yeah, years I ago say, i feel at like least. my archival memories it feels like 2006 but i'm sure there are members out there who could easily correct us <laughs> so obviously the company has a, a long history and a very kind of proud and significant history um penelope for someone like yourself i mean i know you best through barking spider visual theater for example your company what tell us about your in your role within kind of the women's circus it's so my my job is storytelling and it's the same with Barking Spider, but here the medium is circus, and um, I bring my passion for storytelling and enabling the stories of others to be told, and whether it's current stories or stories that are invisible or lost or forgotten or you know really untold stories for those to be 
um, brought to the fore and using, in this case, circus as the means or medium through which to... Um, tease out and generate and then show those stories. And at the women's circus, is there sometimes the the sense that some women uh, need to be empowered to, to tell their stories, to own their stories, to have confidence in their stories? Because, uh, I mean, they're women living in a patriarchy which says you are less important than men. It's it's really interesting that, that you say that because some people know, no, nah, I know what, exactly what I'm going to do. Others... Um, there was one woman who came in and she literally said, I'm, I'm not important enough, my story doesn't matter. I'm not joking. I was like, are you kidding? And I got it from her, teased it from her. And that pair on the trapeze were amazing and proud at the end of that. So, yeah, it is a, a case of enabling people to, to tell their story. And Devon, in terms of using circus arts to do that, to not only tell stories, but to empower people as well, talk to us about that side of uh, the, the company's activities, because as you say, there's a, a broad range of social circus and community circus kind of programs around Australia working, whether it's with women, whether it's with children, whether it's with marginalised communities. Why is circus such a valuable tool for, for empowering people and, and letting them express themselves? Well, I think particularly social circus, the emphasis is on play and on taking risks in a safe way, <clears throat> which as women and or as people who are oppressed by the patriarchal system that we exist with, within, you know, we don't, we're not allowed to take risks uh, through our own decision-making. It's often the risks are put onto us through external forces, right? You walk down the street at night, that's a risky thing. That's not because I've put myself into that risk, though. That's because of the system that's working around you. So I think, you know, in our case, providing a space, in theory, away from some of those imposed risks and allowing you to take agency over your body, reclaiming your body, reclaiming your story, um, having an opportunity to connect with other people who maybe f have had similar experiences than, as you have. Um, and I think circus is a really fantastic one because it requires trust, touch, which is something that's not really permitted in our society either, um, or, you know, encouraged. Uh, um, laughter, play, uh, you know, there's a real sense of um, connection to both your, your own body and the, the, the people that you're engaging with that can happen through circus. And I think this idea that I, something you could never do, so it's surprising yourself with your own sort of potential and possibilities um, by doing something you never thought you could ever do before. Now, let's talk about a couple of the specific uh, projects and programs that the Women's Circus is going to be running in 2019. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Around that. Um, Rapidly uh, approaching. So, Circus for Life. Yeah, so this is really... So, I've been with the organisation now for sort of four and a half, five years in various forms, um, and something that became obvious to me was that a lot of the community programs, so working with women who are, are potentially the most marginalised groups of women, um, maybe not able to access our training program uh, due to financial barriers or other barriers. Um, so a lot of community groups would come to us acknowledging that maybe doing a circus program with us would be a really good thing for the women in their programs, but there's no money 
available in their funding either. So we're, we're, we were up facing a, an issue where there was not, not enough money to work with the, the groups that we wanted to, and we had to charge a bit of money for to be able to, to, to deliver that. So in I've sought out and um, we've been able to secure a, a partnership with Lord Mayor's Charitable Foundation, which will allow us to deliver really heavily subsidized workshops and five-week programs to eligible community groups who are working with young women and um, and, and women from the, from the broader community. And that's the piece where we often, you know, ultimately we want to see our training community reflect the broader community that we exist within. And um, the, through these partnership programs or through these one-off workshops with community groups, we often find women <laughs> who really respond to circus and find it really invigorating and would benefit from staying with us longer. So we also, from those programs, we also have articulated a lot of pathways into our training program through scholarships and um, sponsored spaces. And so we're, we're delivering that across next year. So it's, you know, really affordable programs for community groups. And alongside that, we're, we've developed um, sort of a new philanthropy program as well. Which is the Circus Solidarity Club? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, in, so you're that's for for what for women who are already involved in the circus community? That's sort of my baby, so I'll take this okay, one. Sure. <laughs> um, so again, we have this legacy of women. So we've got 27 years worth of people that we've engaged with, and some of those people are you know our biggest advocates. Um, and really, it's trying. The goal is to um, generate enough money through the club to be able to sustain the Circus for Life program once the Lord Mayor's Charitable Foundation funding runs out. Um, And that's, uh, you know, it'll be a financial contribution, an annual financial contribution, but there'll be opportunities to come together with these women, meet other like-minded women, and also participate a bit in some some of the circus dreaming, I suppose. Um, Next year is really awesome, too, because we were... um, able to secure match funding through the Creative Partnerships Australia Fund. Which means that uh, for people who don't know the program, if you donate, say, $1,000 to the Circus Solidarity Club, that becomes magically doubled to $2,000. It's pretty exciting. And this is and the same idea. I guess it's about embedding some, some programs into our overall delivery so that we're not kind of reinventing things year on year we're actually building on them um, and really about generating another opportunity for us to connect with a community of women so if you don't if you don't feel like you can come along to a training class you can still be part of the circus solidarity club and still be part of our community and if you would like to uh, donate to the circus solidarity club www.womencircus.org.au forward slash solidarity hyphen club uh, and i'll give that url out again at the end of this conversation and in 2019 you're creating a brand new large-scale show penelope talk to us about creative development Talk to us about kind of the ideas that are already bubbling away to create the big women's circus show for 2019. So we've already had two dreaming days, as we call them, um, and that's where people from our community can come together and we we kick around ideas, basically, and, and through provocations that I, I give give the group. Such as? Give us an example. Um well, originally we were going to do the work at the meat market and the working title of that work was called Butcher. So a provocation in that case was, well, what does that evoke for you? That word, what does it mean? And you might sit and write 
one word or you know and share that with the group and what just with that one word it evoked so many so many different images visceral things sounds spaces places we had got a huge amount of ideas from that um at the moment we are probably 99.8% sure going to be doing it at the drill hall hall in Footscray but not 100% sure whatever the case we will be looking at the history of the site that we are in and digging down drilling down to find the untold histories especially especially women's histories in a space so the drill hall was a site where it was a drill hall so that's where the army you know practiced and stuff so what did women do in and around that if anything and then even digging down deeper into the indigenous history of the site as well um and in terms of the shape of the show (laughs) i'm really influenced by companies like punch drunk in new york um, ah, so we're talking immersive and yeah. kind of uh, kind of not just sitting passively watching a show unfold, but no. kind of walking through the show. That's right. I mean, you'd probably know with Barking Spider, I don't create work where you are a passive recipient of it. No, this is I in my head. And Devon's trying to... I'm having to rein her in a bit. But... <laughs> Which is uh, one of the things I love about the creative process in any organisation. You have somebody who goes, let's do this wild, huge, ambitious, almost impossible thing, and the other person who goes, let's just kind of like make it a possible thing by <laughs> tucking it in a bit there. I think we pull... have a really fantastic partnership uh, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to next year. But uh, because I, I really love this sort of scope, I think it does have a lot of uh, potential for, um, you know, small intimate stories as well as larger ones to take place and for, you know, different entry points for audience as well, which I think is really important. Not everyone wants to can sit. Not everyone can sit. I know I can. I sit in front of a computer a lot of the day. I hate sitting for two hours to watch a show. Um, so, you know, and, and, but it's why we're in that... Um, you know, ethereal space of betwixt and between, waiting for funding applications to come back, waiting for partnerships to be solidified. But we definitely know, regardless, we're going to be making something and it's going to be magnificent next year. A labyrinth. Just yeah. imagine kind yeah. of a, so, uh, yeah. a world. A, yeah. a labyrinth, a world, an unpacking and an, an exploring of of local history, of her stories, uh, and much, much more. Yeah. Mm. So stay tuned for that. And the only way to be part, to participate in that, if you want to perform, is to to join us and become a member and train with us. <laughs> if you want to join and train with the Women's Circus, womenscircus.org.au, and you can find out all the the program details there. And uh, if you feel like maybe performing and training circus is not for you maybe you're like me you're kind of middle-aged and and you've become comfortable and slightly lazy we have 72 year old women who dangle from the ceiling now, yeah, which yeah you have no you. excuse <laughs> <laughs> but if you would like to support uh the uh the women's circus by uh donating to their circus solidarity club uh then as i said uh womenscircus.org.au forward slash solidarity hyphen club to donate and as you heard uh, through the support of Creative Partnerships Australia's Plus One Matched Funding Program. Every, uh, if you make a $1,000 tax-deductible donation, that will be matched dollar for dollar, meaning your $1,000 donation doubles to $2,000 to support the success and sustainability of the Circus for Life program run by the Women's Circus. That website, again, is www.womenscircus.org.au. Jump online and check it out. I've been chatting with Devin Taylor and Penelope Bartlow. Thank you both so much for joining us here at Triple R. Thank Thank you, you, Richard.
I love about kind of working kind of I will say in the cultural sector. I'm not actually an artist myself, but as well as this show, I work for the website Arts Hub and I'm the, the chair of La Mama and many other things. But the thing I, one of the things I love about the sector is the sense of collaboration that infuses it. So few artists actually work alone. There's a sharing of ideas. There's collaborations between organisations. Not that long ago, for example, organisations like the Hellenic Museum and the Jewish Museum collaborated on a work celebrating grandmothers. Now there's a new collaboration between... Uh, Museums Victoria and specifically uh, the Immigration Museum but also Heidi which is, uh, I'm sure you know the Heidi Museum of Art out um, kind of Bulleen, thank you. I was a, kind of just drawing a blank for a moment, which is terrible timing when I'm about to in, kind of introduce <laughs> somebody. Uh, Brooke Babington is a curator at Heidi and uh, uh, Moya Mc... Fadjan uh, is a senior curator at Museums Victoria. And so your, your organisations are collaborating on an exhibition called Love. We have. Um, and thanks for having us, Richard. Uh, it's really exciting for us to be collaborating with Heidi. It's the first time that we have collaborated with um, the Heidi Museum of Modern Art. And it came about by the Immigration Museum sort of thinking about how we might uh, explore some sort of broader universal themes of shared humanity, if you like, and love seemed to be like a really obvious theme. And so uh, our two organisations uh, came have come together in a really enriching partnership, which has been so exciting, uh, to be able to explore the theme of love both through the museum's collections and our communi- also community collections and also uh, being able to draw on the uh, the rich narratives around love that Heidi tells through their um, th- their artists and their artist community as well. Internally, we've uh, sort of jokingly been been calling it a bit of a love affair between Immigration Museum and Heidi. And um, what better places to choose to find some really exciting and evocative love stories than the Immigration Museum with its sort of diverse personal Australian stories and Heidi, which has a, a long history, as I'm sure many people know, uh, of of love and complicated love stories and also a, a, a bit of a love affair with Australian modernism. Yeah. the How long did it has it taken this partnership to come about? Because I know kind of from my involvement with the sector that what on paper should be a fairly easy kind of like, oh, we'll just sign a kind of memorandum, memorandum of understanding and sure, we'll collaborate, easy, fine. <laughs> it can take three or four years to, to fine-tune details and work out roles and responsibilities and, and so forth. So how did love come about? Uh, love came about, I think we were in it before we really knew what had happened <laughs> and I think we, we've really developed the exhibition together within a 12-month period. It's happened really fast. In fact, I suspect our memorandum of understanding was about the last thing that um, we signed. <laughs> <laughs> we were well into the well into the development before then it would it just it's just been an exhibition that um that the team has had a lot of synergy but uh, mm. i think we've had a really um we've really understood the theme together it just has all made sense and uh between our own between all of our collections it's mm. just uh it's just come together quite easily in that way we've we sort of brook and talk to how we've really uh we, we've We've separated out the Heidi story because it's so complicated, so we tell that a little separately in the exhibition. Um, And then the exhibition uh, infuses other sections uh, with Heidi material as well as our own. So we explore the, the idea of love through four key... Uh, emotions, if you like, we we look at uh, romance, soulmates, uh, devotion, uh, and grief, and we've uh, 
use both our own collections and gone back to people so that they can tell their own stories around those, uh, using the objects as a starting point mm. to then tell their own stories. So for us it was really about the authenticity of, of the personal voice so that the visitors go around the exhibition with a, with a guide and they literally um, can select stories uh, that raises their curiosity or emotion and they have real people in their ears sort of whispering those stories to them. Now, as soon as I heard about this exhibition and, and about the, the kind of collaboration between the two institutions, Heidi struck me as a, as a natural partner for to work with uh, Museums Victoria on this, given that every, whether it's kind of um, Sunday Reads Heart Garden, whether mm-hmm. it's the tangled kind of complex uh, kind of uh, relationships between the various uh, Heidi patrons, founders, artists, uh, their children, and so forth. Mm. So it kind of there's a a lot to tell, clearly. Yeah, it's it's a really complicated story. It's a, it's a love story, really focusing on John and Sunday Reed's enduring uh, love for one another. They're really soulmates, but their love for one another endured quite a lot. Uh, they they John and Sunday Reed established. They met in 1930 and established a, a fairly bohemian and sexually permissive lifestyle out at Heidi uh, that attracted a, a crowd of left wing intellectuals and artists and and. Uh, they enjoyed an open relationship and experimented with bisexuality. So sort of uh, something today that you you might more comfortably term polyamory. And most famously, they had a, a relationship with um, Sidney Nolan, the famous artist Sidney Nolan, uh, with whom they lived in a menage a trois arrangement for almost a decade. And uh, as probably many of your listeners know, uh, Nolan eventually left Sunday and she was sort of forever heartbroken and, and, and planted the heart garden that actually features symbolically in the Love Exhibition as an as a, um, exhibition design feature. Uh, and in that garden she planted meaningful plants like forget-me-nots and um, heartsease and, and eventually allowed the garden to grow out as a kind of symbolic gesture of healing, I suppose. But throughout it all, John and Sunday's love endured and... Um, I think in the exhibition there's a quote from John to Sunday that his last words to her were, darling, you have made my life, which is, it's quite difficult to say something unique, uh, you know, uh, something unique to say how much you you love someone and I feel like that's really a unique phrase. And for me also then, the Immigration Museum, the the idea of telling stories of love, kind of, it it just immediately conjures up everything from, I don't know, the, the... uh, the the immigrant who, who's, whose wife and family are back at home, whether it's in Greece or Syria, uh, and kind of letters exchanged and tokens of love, or kind of people who fall in love on the boat out to Australia, mm. or the, fam- the, the, the love affairs that uh, develop uh, within communities or between different communities as people kind of uh, migrate to and begin new lives as well. So, again, presumably a, a huge, rich kind of array of stories to tell. I'm guessing the challenges kind of finding the right <laughs> stories to tell and, and paring back rather than kind of splurging on on a kind of 10,000 love stories. <laughs> it's so true. I think that's one of the hardest things for a curator to do is actually narrow down and select the stories Editing. because there's, <laughs> there's so much richness. And our, we do have a number of migration stories that we feature. Um, one, perhaps along the lines you're thinking, uh, is a lovely story between two people, Yildiz and Regeb, who were... Um, uh, 
migrants from Cyprus uh, and they, uh, Recep had already come to Australia and it was an arranged marriage and in fact it was, she, uh, Yildiz was a proxy bride who uh, actually married um, married Recep from a distance uh, back in Cyprus and then she came out to Australia in the early 1950s and there's a beautiful story that his daughter, because it's uh, their daughter who tells the story for for us on their behalf and he was so excited uh, he couldn't wait for the boat to dock because it had actually been quarantined because of a whole lot of rotting cargo so it was sitting out off station pier and he actually grabbed a rowboat and rowed out with a box of chocolates and was throwing chocolates at the ship (laughs) in the hope that she would see this and um, it's a really beautiful romantic story so that's that's just one and so we display uh, Yildiz's very simple suitcase with her name on it in the exhibition but I should also quickly say that while romantic stories are a big part of the exhibition, we wanted the exhibition to be really inclusive and include all kinds of forms of love. So um, there are, there's also love between family members and, between, and, and, and deep friendships as well. So not just the, the, um, the love of romance as well, which is, which is really, really important. And we've also tried to be really inclusive in terms of gender and age and sexuality um, and, and location and time. So we've got stories that some are from the 19th century right through to the present day. It reinforces that in English uh, the word love is kind of limited as opposed to the Greeks who had what uh, eros, philia, ludos, mania, agape, all the different kinds of love that you could have. Did you just come up with those out of your own head or do you have them written there? <laughs> Google is my friend. <laughs> But because as you were speaking, I was thinking, yeah, that to do justice to the range of love stories that are out there is a challenge because there is the love that you have for your closest friend, for example, which is very different to the love you have for a parent or the, or a child or sexual and romantic love and more. So all of those complications are then tied up in presenting this exhibition. But another complication that would arise, again, as a result of the partnership between Museums Victoria and Heidi, is you'd probably both your institutions would have a very different approach to the aesthetics of of design uh, when presenting an exhibition. How was that resolved? Yeah, that's right. I actually uh, found that to be one of the most uh, rewarding aspects of our partnership. The exhibition curation and uh, design is quite unique in that there's in, they've, we've incorporated uh, modern and contemporary artworks along with cultural artefacts from Museum Victoria's uh, quite extensive collection. And it has the effect of, of disrupting um, conventional expectations about about what you would expect to see at a, in a museum or gallery setting. And really the focus on um, narrative framing, as Moya has explained, sheds a, a really a, a very intimate and personal light on some of our most beloved artworks from Heidi and, and Museums Victoria. Mm. It's been That's really been fantastic. And the other exciting thing too is being able to really rethink our amazing long room space at the old mm. customs house where Immigration Museum is, which is a really um, it's a neoclassical 19th century uh, space and into it we've inserted a very contemporary modern aesthetic mm. with, with beautiful um, neon and small houses that contain these stories to create a sense of intimacy uh, and beautiful uh, paper flowers by local um, Melbourne paper flower artist Amanda May. So it all sort of comes together um, to really create create very uh, small intimate spaces where the visitors can really um, engage both with the objects and the stories in a very close way and also leave a bit of themselves behind. The idea is you actually get to write down your own love story and leave it so that it becomes a kind of collective project by the, by the entire community. Mm. Albert Tucker once said of 
Heidi, that it, it was a there was a hothouse atmosphere, and I think uh, you've really kind of run with that idea as well in the exhibition design of, of yeah. the, the. There are four kind of uh, love shacks. Love shacks, we call them hot houses. They've been yeah. called different things at different times. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm starting to wish I'd bought a B-52s track in with me, so, but yeah, no love shack. Uh, but uh, the exhibition uh, that we're discussing is called Love. It's on now uh, at the Immigration Museum, 400 Flinders Street in Melbourne. Uh, more information uh, at museumsvictoria.com.au forward slash immigration museum. It's a partnership between Museums Victoria and Heidi, uh, and as I said, on now. Uh, is there a, do we know what the closing date is? We, I couldn't... we do. It closes on the 28th of April, so there's plenty of time to, to come. Uh, we'll be running some programs over summer so people can look out for those. And we also have a uh, reciprocal arrangement with between Heidi and the Immigration Museum, so there's a 25% off joint ticketing. So uh, the idea was that we want to share our audiences and bring new audiences into both our institutions. Fantastic. So uh, museumsvictoria.com.au forward slash immigration museum for more information about love. And if you want to visit Heidi... Uh, uh, then uh, just jump online, heidi.com.au, for uh, opening hours over summer as well. I'm assuming you're open every day except Christmas Day. So, Correct. Yeah. Yep. So Love, as we said, is on now until the 28th of April. Uh, Moya McFadgen and Brooke Babington, thank you so much for joining us here at Triple R. Thank you, Richard. Thanks, Richard. Uh, the launch and debut exhibition of, of a new art space called Long Space, which is located over in Newport. I'm joined by Lana Schwartz, who's a performer, comedian and theatre maker, and Colin Scott, a mixed media artist. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much Thanks. for having us. Thanks for having us. So, um, Lana, I'm going to start with you because you're the one that kind of brought this to my attention, kind of saying, hey, we're opening this new space and comedian Sean Bedlam is exhibiting in it. And I was like, what, Sean has a visual arts practice as, as well as comedy and, and co-founding um, uh, kind of yelling at racist dogs? What's <laughs> a man of many I'm talents. glad you know Sean's work. Um, <laughs> yes, he is. Sean is not only a comedian uh, but a very, very big activist and... Um, and he's an amazing visual artist. So I don't think many people know this about him. And, in fact, I think a lot of comedians probably have um, an external visual arts practice that nobody knows about because it's all the angsts of, like, oh, my jokes didn't go down well, no-one's booking me. Um, so they channel all of that into the art. That's not true, of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think that there actually are, is a lot of crossover. And his work is just beautiful. It's so intricate. The... Um, the wire, he works mainly in wire sculptures, sort of creating these beautiful orbs. And um, when you put uh, lighting behind them, they create in, in, incredible shadows. And they're, they're just very um, intricate and detailed. A lot of work in there. Yeah. And how did the, the the creation of this kind of new artist-run initiative come about, Colin? Well, look, we started out essentially looking for a workspace for ourselves and it progressed into an art gallery. Uh, so it, we wanted to build a, 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 an artist-run studio space. That's what it was essentially going to be. And the more we worked on the place, the more we realised that what we had in our hands was a very interesting space which would work as... Uh, an art gallery, not your high end, not a span or a, a Schwartz type gallery, but a, a nice space that has a nice feel to it. So, and it really, it, it, it was just as we work on it more and more, it became 
an art gallery. We just seen it appear in front of us, as things do. Yeah, it was totally an accident in a lot of ways. Yeah, which is one of the joys of any creative practice is seeing where you end up, not yeah, knowing at the start of the journey. It's it's, it's it's that you know it's the initial step. It's not knowing where you're going to end up, and and, and sometimes you don't end up where you think you're going to be, but where you is, you know, it's the Buddhist philosophy. It's where you are is where you're meant to be. You know, so. Mm. It's, and not only then uh, a new addition to kind of Melbourne's collection of Aries, which mm. it kind of we need more of because as property prices rise, artists are, are being driven out of yeah. kind of spaces that they used to occupy. Um, just uh, in Fitzroy, for example, Seventh Gallery have lost one of their gallery spaces because rising rent means mm. they've actually subleased that to kind of I think it's a clothing shop, for example. So kind of we need more Aries. Uh, so presenting one in. Uh, I guess out kind of where you are in Newport also uh, shows how the artistic population of Melbourne is spreading further out as well as property prices in the inner city. Kind of, it, it, yeah, it's, you know. it's all of a sudden it's, it's it, traditionally it's been a very inner city thing and now it's, it's you know, what used to be considered suburbia is now, that's now becoming the new edge of, 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 of the like, the thing, whatever it's going to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I believe, I could be wrong about this, but I believe we might be the only artist-run initiative in Hobson's Bay. Um, there's a few in Maribyrnong, but uh, but I, we might be the only ones mm. in uh, in Hobson's Bay. And we're just down the road from the substation. So sort of working um, working with those guys and working with the, um, you know, the other people of Arts West is a really good thing for us to be doing. Yeah. And in terms of the the space itself, tell us a little bit more about it, because I know there's artist studios, there's a couple of exhibition spaces and light boxes as mm. well. We have mm. three studio spaces, which that was initial, our initial plan. Um, we have at, and we have uh, sort of about 25 running metres of wall space, uh, floor space, and yeah, we, have, we built a couple of light boxes for transparencies and displays and stuff up there. And also, uh, to add to that, our uh, only one wall is um, is really... We built one wall to not be uh, transparent, but the, all of the other walls that are existing in the... that we built for the studio spaces are made from core flutes, so they actually transfer light. So people who are doing uh, projection art can utilise that space in yeah. a really interesting way, and it's got a shop front as well, so anyone that wants to do... Um, any kind of thing with the windows it could be a really interesting so, way so, to use the space. We'd never set out to set to uh, once it became the art gallery, but it was never going to be a traditional art gallery. It's not a white wall space. It's there for experimentation, and it's mm. w- whether you're an emerging artist or an established artist. If you just want to try something that you know that's no one else will will try. I used to work in art galleries. I worked at Newcastle Region, and I worked at a place at Casula Powerhouse in Western Sydney. And it was Casula uh, was a, very much an experimental art space, and we we allowed artists to come in and just go. Well, I want to try this. Will it work or will it not work? And it's that's that. It's the first step. It's the journey again. And yeah, and that's what I'd, I'd like it to be somewhere where you you, you don't feel pressured to and, and, and pressure to have a success of any kind it's it's, it's not yeah you, you don't want a nice clean show at the end it can be messy it can be whatever you whatever want. It, whatever it yeah. is and if it works for you that's what it is and that's good yeah and so. another nice connection with Kasula then is also the that strong focus that Kasula has kind of to the community yeah, around very, it as well yeah. um, and I love the fact that um, one of the things that you've done at long space is created a gallery space for dogs oh yeah <laughs> 
so down the bottom of the uh, down the we haven't actually mounted it yet, um, but down the bottom of the windows there's actually a natural frame um, that was already existing, and it's at exactly dog height so dog head height and I thought would what would be really fun to do is that we could have uh, paintings of things that dogs might like like bones and bowls of food and trees and other dogs butts you know so it would be and and we got people at the opening to start doing those paintings so we chopped out a bunch of um a bunch of leftover board that uh, we had used for the build and um got people to do paintings and they've <laughs> yeah there's mm. quite a collection already and I'm excited about that one of the other things that intrigues me about opening up a, this new space uh, long space gallery which is at 419 Melbourne Road Newport and you can jump online www.longspace.com.au for more info when you found it it was what an ex-bike shop but it turns out it has a secret history as an art space back in the past so one day we were um, just closing up the shop after doing a bit of work in there and um, we saw this woman walk past the shop front and she was her her face was just in awe and she was just going down memory lane you know and just walking past all the shops and going oh yeah I remember that and oh I remember that and she just stopped in front of our shop and and of course we'd had um our windows all blocked out for the build and she was just like looking at it with wist you know this wistful look on her face and um she said oh are you in here and we said yes and then she told us how she had she had had that shop as an artist studio in 1972 and we had no idea we always just thought oh, it was a bike mm. shop and it was a it was a, a antique an antique shop, shop. Um, but yeah that that we had brought it full circle without us knowing <laughs> That it was originally that as well was great. And it's also, she'd never judge people because I thought, oh, who's this crazy come to talk to us now? And it turned out she's got a fantastic story. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And we almost called it after her, almost yeah. named it after her, but yeah. So a, a connection to, to local history, but then also now a connection to the future history uh, yeah, exactly, of Newport yes, as yeah, well, yeah. as kind of, I imagine, artists in the area, will, their ears will be pricking up going, new art space, I can exhibit I there, I so. can play yes, there. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. we would encourage people to... Um, to absolutely contact us to see if they, you know, if they want to exhibit there or even just come and chat to us and, and um, find out more about us would be great. If you want to find out more about Long Space, which, as we said, is located at 419 Melbourne Road in Newport, jump online, www.longspace.com.au. Uh, there is, of course, a contact form on the website where you can get in touch. Uh, and there's also then links to all the relevant social media pages, your, your Twitters, your Facebooks, uh, your Instagrams, and uh, and more. So uh, it's a fantastic new addition to Melbourne's RE sector. So yeah. congratulations. Thanks. Oh, Thank before you. we go, is, is it possible for us to mention something? Uh, Quick plug. A- a, a, sorry. Quick plug. A quick a quick plug for something that we're that we're developing there. It's, uh, we're going to have a, because we need to get people interested in the place, we're going to have a prize show in March. 
we're trying to get a couple of, we've got Judith Lucy as one of our judges, we're trying to get a couple of people with, you know, a, a bit of glamour and a bit of credibility to them. Praise is going to be a, a free exhibition in our space, so, and it's just, a, it's just a chance for people to come together and experience the space and, and put a piece of work in. No real pressure on, we've, we've got all the, the our requirements on the website, uh, and it's probably pretty much everybody that uh, applies will get accepted, so we just, we just want to get a lot of people in there, see the place filled up, and go for it. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Jump online and check out uh, longspace.com.au for more info about that and all the other upcoming events in the space. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.